We are going to energize the country. Stop Brexit. No more Mr. Nice Guy. Another future is possible, but we've got to fight for it. Order! Hello and welcome to the Debated Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Will. And in this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by a great British actor, director and writer, Reese Dinsdale. Welcome to the podcast, Reese. Thank you very much, Will. Um, so the first question uh, that I'd like to ask is about a work that you were involved in that has become, in the last few years, quite relevant and very topical. A lot of people have been um, talking about it, and that's Threats, uh, which for uh, people who don't know, is a film that was made in the um, 1980s about the um, run-up to a, a, an, an aftermath of a, a nuclear uh, war. And um, it focuses on the uh, detonation of a um, nuclear warhead over Sheffield. So I just wondered, how did you first become involved with the project? And um, what were your first okay. thoughts of the, the script? Well, um, it was 1984 when we shot it, in the spring, I think, uh, early spring, uh, late winter. And um, yeah, that's exactly when it was. And um, I'd been doing some work for four years. I'd left drama school in 1980 and things were cooking nicely. And my agent sent me a script uh, that was written by the brilliant Barry Hines, who, for uh, anyone who wants some point of reference, he'd written... Cares, the, the wonderful film, Bryce of Passes film up in Yorkshire that uh, Ken Loach had shot some years before, um, which was based on his novel Kestrel for a Knave, and he adapted it uh, to be a, for a screenplay. So when I got this screenplay for a thing called Threads, um, uh, directed by, a, at that time, a kind of documentary maker, Mick Jackson, who went on after Threads to do things like Bodyguard and Hollywood and lots of uh, wonderful projects. Anyway, so I got this th- script and um, it was to play one of the two central characters, the, the young couple at the heart of the film. Um, and I, 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 we were all living at the time um, under the threat of, of, of nuclear war. I mean, it was the height of the Cold War. The Cold War had been going on for many, 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 many years, but it, it, uh, between the, you know, the Russian superpower and America, we, we felt trapped in the middle somehow. And um, CND and all the other things were, were at their height, and, and people were really frightened that, that something might go off um, if some, some either side lost their marbles. Um, so I got this script, and I started reading it, and it was terrific. It was The dialogue was superb. The tension was just palpable from the off and it, but he, he just built it beautifully these normal people normal lives ordinary folk a working class lad and a slightly lower middle class girl who having this love affair and the two families coming together with the backdrop of, of uh, a threat of nuclear war uh, so I, I read it I went to meet with uh, Mick Jackson the director and Barry Hines uh, we got on like a house on fire and uh, in those days, it was so simple. You know, you kind of got the job that day if it was yours. These days, you jump through hoops and have to meet so many other people and producers and do screen tests. It's daft. But those days, it's kind of the job was yours. And I knew from the off, it was a, it was a very special script. Um, one of the things that um, you mentioned uh, there uh, is that it is really uh, able to... Um, Empathise, and people are able to really sort of like relate to the situation mm. that the characters find themselves in because they are, you know, ordinary people. You mm. know, you're not sort of like dealing with really high uh, politics. Do you think that 
sometimes the effect of what happens with political decisions and you know the 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 threat of war to ordinary people is sometimes perhaps not as uh, much a part of um drama particularly drama that has such political undertones as as, as threads with with lots of work that that has come out since sorry well do you mean that uh, people don't um don't identify their own situation with things yeah. that come up yeah. since. Um, possibly. Um, I, I just know that um, it, was, it was a unique time. I mean, <laughs> I say unique, and in, in these latter days, you know, with, um, with the North Korean uh, uh, leader and with uh, Mr. Donald Trump, uh, things have had a similar flavour, shall we say, in recent times. And, I, and so I think that even now people are, are very wary and, 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 and fearful of what all it would take for something to go wrong in an instant, instance. Sorry. Um, so I, I don't know, but I can only speak for that time. And it was a special time in that it was very worrying and we did feel it. It was palpable. Uh, so I don't know whether we were, we weren't as um, news, news, um, what's the word I'm searching for? Uh, savvy uh, as we are now. Um, we're, we're inundated with much more information through all the news outlets, um, social media, whatever it may be. And so maybe we've got our, our eye on things a little bit more and we can make more informed decisions about what's going down. But then you couldn't. There was nothing like we have now. And all you saw was a front page of a newspaper or, or the BBC reporting that uh, you know there was missiles going off here or threats from this warship to this and that. It was just, it was there were extraordinary times. And threads just, just hit the nail on the head, as you said, because it, it dealt with ordinary people. Do you think that... Um because of course um, now we have a series like Black Mirror that uh, examine uh, apocalyptic situations with, with, mm-hmm. with every single episode. Do you think that part of the impact of Threads was the fact that in a way it was sort of a, a first of its kind? I mean, I, I know um, yes. War Games was made um, about mm-hmm. 20 years before, but it wasn't shown until, until after Threads. Do you think that that's part of, of why it had such an impact? Um. Uh, yes, I, 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 absolutely. I, I just think um, there was there was nothing like it at all. It was so shocking. We were used to you know play for today, really uh, plays about life, gentle dramas about this, that, and the other. We'd not got even close towards things like Edge of Darkness, other brilliant things that came came later. Um, well, not to my mind, anyway. Yes, uh, the Americans have made a version. Is it the day after? Um, yeah as well, and I don't know if that came before or after, I'm not sure, uh, but it was a rarity. You didn't get such powerful uh, TV drama uh, like this, and um, it stood the test of time, I, I really think. I have not seen it for, well, I saw it last, about 12 months ago, and we made it in 84, so you, you do the maths, it's, it's 26 years since I'd seen it, really. And you wonder if it was going to um, still hold and by God, it does. I, I t- actually took my teenage kids. Thank goodness they were, you know, 15 and, and uh, 14 at least and, and, and 17. I'd forgotten what the impact was like. I mean, in fact, I'm reminded daily on Twitter and, and things by many people who said we were shown it at school and we really shouldn't have been shown it at school because it was, it was the most harrowing, frightening, scary thing they'd ever seen. It took years to get out of people's psyche. Uh, but it, it, it does still stand. And of course... You know, you can draw your own your own analogies now to all sorts of things. You know, um, it's 
for nuclear attack, read coronavirus, whatever you want to do for, you know, read, you know, I don't know, you can get deeper and deeper and more and more political, you know, there's a rise of the far right that's pretty scary as far where I'm sitting. Uh, so anyway, it's just, uh, it's just one of those films that really did hit the nail on the head. It actually, it actually won the BAFTA Award for Best Single Drama in 85, the year after. And um, it's, it's, it's as powerful today as it was then. Um, now, I'd like to um, move on and talk about um, one of the uh, uh, two plays that we're going to uh, be discussing okay. in this podcast uh, that, that you're in. And, and the first I can remember like, them. <laughs> <laughs> the, first I'd, the first I'd like to um, talk about is uh, The Absence of War by uh, David Hare. Oh, okay. Yes, yes. And um, the production uh, that you were in, uh, yeah. was in about uh, 2015. It was in the, the, was. the run-up to the general election. How did you first become involved with uh, that production? Had you okay. seen it before? What, what was your sort of like relationship to the, to the script? Well, first of all, there's an irony in it. Uh, whether your uh, listeners uh, know of this, that I, many moons ago as a young man, I did a series with John Thor, the great John Thor, uh, a comedy series, uh, Home to Roost. And... Uh, after that time, John did a play, part of a trilogy that David Hare plays. It was called The Absence of War. He did it at the National Theatre. Um, he did three plays in the trilogy. He did uh, David, he did um, The Absence of War about politics. He did uh, Murmuring Judges about the judiciary. And he did um, Racing Demon about the church. Um, so John played George Jones, who is a kind of Neil Kinnock figure in The Absence of War. He played it all those years ago. Cut to 2015, and there I am being offered George Jones in The Absence of War. Uh, it's a kind of nice bookend as well, because way back then when he originally did the trilogy, David Hare, I also did... Um, it, the Littleton Theatre version at the National Theatre, I was in Racing Demon. So we were both in, 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 in those kind of early uh, productions. Um, and I then, many years later, did a play in 2013 at the National Theatre. I think it might be the other play you're going to talk about, This House, uh, in, in which, which was directed by Jeremy Herron. Jeremy Herron is a, a fabulous director. He's a very smart, very, very uh, learned chap. And um, he met me some months previously. He didn't give me the job for something else. I thought I'd cut my goose. And then, lo and behold, nine months, you know, a few months later, he's offering me this wonderful role in this house. Um, we, we did that. It was a huge success. And on the back of that, Jeremy said he wanted to work with me again. And he had a great project for me. And that project was The Absence of War. He'd by this time taken over a great theatre company called Headlong. And they were going to take this out on tour. And he offered me the part. Ironically, the very same day, I was offered Uncle Vanya in a production somewhere. And I had this big choice to make. Uh, but I, 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 I uh, opted for, for the George Jones role um, for a few reasons. But basically, I'd loved working with Jeremy. Um, he got my political juices flowing a little bit, which I'd never really felt I was a political animal until this house. And uh, David Hare the writer of The Absence of War and Racing Demon that I'd done all those years ago, David Hare had, had um, kind of semi-directed the play Racing Demon with, with me in it, with Richard Eyre. And so we met together, David Hare, Jeremy Herron, the director, and myself, and, and David was delighted that I was coming back because he also loved the lineage from John Thor, 
right through to me. He thought it was a beautiful two bookends for his production that hadn't been revived really in any major form for all those years. That was a very long-winded answer, Will, to your question. I'm sorry about that. But we got there in the end, and um, that's how it came about. So it came about via, via Jeremy Herrin asking me to, to play that particular role. Uh, you, you mentioned, um, of course, that John uh, Thorpe played the part. I just wondered, did that in any way, because, of course, his um, uh, performance was also uh, filmed as part of Screen 2, I wonder, mm. did you... Watch his performance. Did that in any way no. influence your performance? Oh, well, <laughs> no, no, I didn't. I didn't because I thought that was wrong. And also, what they'd done quite cleverly. We were going up to some real northern heartlands at Liverpool and then Glasgow with the play, and they George Jones was written as a South London character hmm. as the leader of the Labour Party. I think just throw people off the scent that it was kind of Neil Kinnockish <laughs> the character. Um, and John wasn't a Londoner, so he, play, he played it London, but, um, you know, it wasn't his natural accent. And they wanted me on board, and they just felt, well, if we're going up the heartlands of the north, let's use what Reese has got best, and let's, let's really engage the actor with the character fully. And it was, you know, so I usually used my natural accent. So I, I did it in a very different fashion. I thought if I watch John, I, I'll, I'll, I'll worry if I'm not doing this or that right, you've always got to put your own stamp on it. And, and that's exactly what I did. So I, I left John alone. However, it was rather nice to have him kind of sitting on my shoulder, I think, <laughs> a, friendly, a friendly ghost. Um, and um, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, you mentioned that the character is Neil Kinnock-esque, and he, he, it is, yeah. um, of course, the, the play based on uh, the 1992 election. election. I just wondered... Um, was there any particular leader of the Labour Party that you had in mind with the portrayal? Or did you just want to sort of like put any, anything like that uh, to the back of your mind and just do it as, it, as the character? Yeah, was I, th I don't think I did use it. I don't think I, I did. I mean, I, you know, you're aware of that, yeah, the, 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 uh, the likeness to Kinnock and people, have, many, many, many reviewers had mentioned that at the, at the original production. So it was, it was common knowledge that it was kind of around that. Although David will swear to this day that it's not. Um, and it was just, it was just his uh, take on, on what was happening at that time within the Labour Party. I, I think as an actor, you, you, um, unless you are specifically told this is Neil Kinnock and you have got to do yeah. um, an impersonation of Neil Kinnock, then, then you'd be wise not to. And I just use the text always as an actor. I just use what's there, what I can bring from the text to me, what, what, what aspects of me I can use with, with, with the character. But also then you, you have to find bits that are different and you have to fill in the holes there. So it's, it's like a big jigsaw puzzle. It's like a big um, Rubik's Cube when you're building a character. So I did it for myself, but it, all, of, all the clues come from the script. So I built it from David's words, not from something I imagined totally. There's, um, at, at, the, at the beginning of the, the play, the opening scene, at the scene at the Cenotaph, there is this great moment when you have... Um, uh, the, the the person who's who's commentating, uh, mm -hmm. describing you know obviously the the different leaders are laying down the wreaths and how mm -hmm. uh, the the absence of war has uh, affected them in the way that war affected um, past generations. Do you think that with what has happened since 1992, and obviously there have been conflicts around the world that have you know really uh, reawaken for people what it feels like to go to war. Do you think that, that that sort of like sense of war perhaps 
detracts at all from the script? Or do you think that we are still living in a time when there is this feeling of, you know, that there is this absence of war that um, generations, obviously, who fought in the Second World War and, and the First World War didn't feel because, because they were involved in such worldwide conflicts? I don't know. It was very difficult. You know, it's, it's a kind of nebulous title in, in some ways. Is that the right word? It's kind of, um, you know, what, what does it really mean, the absence of war? I asked David because I thought, I'm going to clear this up in my head. What, what is this? What is, it, what is it called, the absence of war exactly, David? And I, asked, and, and, and I actually offered the answer. I said, is it just when there's an absence of war, we play politics more? Is that what you're trying? And he said exactly that. He said, is it, it, it's, in an absence of war, we do politics. The British do politics, and um, and so I, I don't really know to, how to answer your question. Really, um, it's, uh, and you know, I have to be honest. Uh, you've taken me a little bit by surprise because I, I haven't read the play. Or we're, we're funny beings, actors. We, I haven't read it since I did it, and I haven't thought about it since I did it. And you know what you do? You, you kind of cancel and continue. As soon as you've done a job, it, the lines go, the kind of meaning of the play goes, <laughs> all the rest of it. So I'm probably your worst nightmare that um, I, I, I'm probably not going to give you any intelligent answers to anything you ask me about, about such things. Um, I, 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 I remember watching recently um, on YouTube, somebody had sent me a clip, uh, which was a trailer that we filmed for the piece. It was George, it was me, it was me talking to camera just about what the essence of the, um, of, the, of the Labour Party and the Conservative Party was. And I thought how powerful it was. You can, you can find it on YouTube if you, if you search. Um, I think it'll just be absence of war. You can put Reese Dinsdale, you can put Headlong in. And there's this wonderful speech in the middle of it where he, he, just, he just explains... The, the, the difference between the two. Um, it was very powerful stuff. I mean, David, David is a is a is a is a brilliant writer. He's just very smart man, uh, very educated uh, chap, and, and you know, he, he, his his heart is very much in, in the right place politically. Um, a lot of people wouldn't, wouldn't agree, and you know, uh, it's exactly the same now as it was then. That's the problem with politics, yeah. especially the Labour Party. You know, we can never agree. It says something in that speech about. But the, the Labour Party believes in justice, but no two people can can um, agree on what justice is, what justice means yeah. for people. Um, and it's, I find it extraordinary sometimes that we're, we're so at war all the time um, with each other. In fact, I get more get more vitriol thrown my way from supporters of what is supposed to be our, our joint own party than than I do from the opposition. It's just so just so sad, you know. Uh, I suppose people would call you a. They would call you a, a centrist or, or, or you know left of centre, but it's um it's 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 very sad when I just feel. Without power, you can't help the people you. Uh, purporting is that right? We're purporting to represent. If you really care, if you really really care about human beings and about the less privileged in society, about. Folk who are just being trampled on in every fashion, poverty, with lack of jobs and wages, you really, really care. Get somebody into power that is going to reverse so many decisions that have been made by a Tory government. And so, um, uh, you know, I don't want to fall out with anyone. I, I, I don't treat politics, don't, I don't try to treat my own party as, as, a, as a warring war ground. Uh, a battlefield. It's just so sad, but um, it seems to be that's that's the way it is, and it was always 
it was always that way back in when you when you went back in um, when when David Hare wrote this play. Mm. Um, you talking about sort of like the infighting, and that is very much a, a, a part of the play. And of course, um, when you were uh, touring with it in 2015, run up to a general mm-hmm. election, you, and you saw a Labour Party that was in in many respects um, divided. Do you think that? Through art, we can um, and, and play. Do you, do you think we can express the, the the sort of inner turmoils that sometimes can't be properly dealt with in politics? Well, they're all too busy fighting um, in real life, so it's you know nobody's listening to each other. Um, in art, in a play, and over the course of two to three hours, you know, David Hare's no mug. He gives you it from both sides. He doesn't paint a rosy picture about things always. You know, they give the good and the bad. And um, and James Graham, who wrote This House, did exactly that. I mean, in a brilliant way. Um, you know, balanced argument, balanced views shown in a film or on a stage about politics is probably a very good arena for things because you can quietly gently just take it all in and, 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 um, and maybe come to some decisions. But, you know, we're also bullish in the, in the political arena on social media and this, that, and the other. Um, I'm quite a gentle chap, really, and I, I, and I, don't, um, and, and I, I don't cause offence, I hope, to anybody on, on that, um, on Twitter. But when it comes to politics, they're the only people I do feel that you can get a little, little bit aerated with because they are accountable. And so that's the, unfortunately, that's the forum... When I get aerated, when I get a bit cross, when I get a bit kind of accusatory, it'll be about politics because I, f- I feel the injustices in, so- in society and I think, why should I be quiet? You know, I'm a human being, I'm an ordinary member of the public and I can say what the hell I want if I feel that people are uh, pulling the wool over our eyes and lying to us and people aren't being served and cared for. So. You mentioned um, this house. There. I'd yes. like to, to move on and, and, and discuss that. What did you first think when you were reading the part of Walter Harrison? What were your first impressions of him as a character? Um, wonderful character. Wonderful character. Oh, well, such a terrier. Uh, I'd seen the play because um, I'd seen, they'd done it in the Cottesloe, first of all, which was the, the smaller space at the National Three. The, the, they, they, they've changed names and all sorts now, but they were basically the small, more experimental space at the Cottesloe, the... Um, middle, more cross-arch thing of the Littleton and then the massive uh, Olivier stage, which holds about 1,200 people uh, in a kind of thrustish stage. Um, and I'd seen the, the original production because they'd, they'd asked me if I'd be up for playing the takeover part from moving from the Coslo into the Olivier uh, of, of Walter Harrison. So I went to see it and it was an old mate of mine who actually was playing the part and he was brilliant. Um, but um, they, he, he wasn't available. They wanted me to do it. I, and, and so I saw so I just thought, oh, this is an incredible, incredible um, opportunity. Uh, my friend was a, was a, a, a Londoner, um, but f- famous for um, actually doing the Northerner, so he was more than qualified for it. But I just thought I would have my own, I really would have my own, I, I would be my element here. Walter Harrison, for those who do or don't, or, or don't know, um, um, was a, a famous, probably the greatest, Deputy Chief Whip that ever lived. He was he was he was renowned. He was he was infamous nearly because he was such a, a, a terrier, such a, a you know he, he was a brew not, not brutal in any way, but he made sure those those guys went through the lobbies. They weren't missing. You know he he used any any method he could to get guys to 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 the House of Parliament and go through the lobbies and, and vote for the Labour Party. Um, I thought 
because I was behind all the rest of the cast that stayed on to come into the Olivia. I was the only new character, new actor. I thought, I'd better get up to speed here. So what I did was, and remember, I come from a place called Normanton, which is just outside Wakefield in West Yorkshire. It's my home territory. Walter Harrison was uh, uh, the local, well, he was, I think he was Dewsbury Wakefield MP. And uh, so it was my neck of the woods. I lived, I lived, I came, I come from five miles away from where he comes from. So it was very much in my territory. And I thought, what can I do to bring myself really up to speed with the other actors? Because they'd done such research and such background on it. And I, that wasn't uh, available to me because when we were in rehearsals, it was a very short period to remount it. So I contacted, Walter had just died uh, in the previous year, but I contacted his family in Pontefract, which is in West Yorkshire. And I went up there and they were so kind, they invited me to dinner one night. And the whole family, sons, daughters, in-laws, you know, or, or, or grandchildren, um, came to dinner, about 10 of them around the table. And they thanked me because they said they hadn't had a chance to talk about Walter in such a fashion as a family since he died. It was the first time they got together. So it was very cathartic, very, very wonderful for them. But they, they took me into their, their home and they gave me all the information I required about Walter. They gave me some of the most wonderful personal um, paperwork, photographs, mementos for me to kind of get under his skin. They gave me a, they gave me a tape of him walking and, and talking and it was fabulous. Um, and then, of course, you just have to, you have to do as much of, of that as you can, but then you have to put your own stamp on it from the words, as I said, about, about George Jones. Um, it, was a, it was an incredible experience. I was walking into a production that worked like clockwork. Uh, it, it was a success. It was the success of the, of the year in, 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 in British theatre. And uh, I'm there I am walking in as a central role, uh, playing opposite a fantastic uh, actor called James Edwards. Jim, and... Um, and many others, Phil, uh, Phil Daniels uh, and Vince Franklin, and, and, and it went on. So many good folk. And I had to come up to speed, but luckily I learned the part beforehand because I thought I have no chance to explore this too much in rehearsal. Um, and um, I, I hit the ground running with all this information. And the whole family, the Walter Harrison family, came to watch it many times and, um, and thanked me profusely for, for, for what I contributed to, to his memory. It was it was a great experience. You uh, you mentioned how how much of um, Walter was a, a distinct character, and he's he's opposite number the um, Conservative Deputy Chief uh, Whip Jack Weatherall. He's yeah. as much of a, a, a remarkable standout certainly is yeah. character. Um, how was it uh, getting to to grips with the the, the dynamic between um, those two characters on stage? Because that that relationship is yeah. really pivotal to the plot. Yeah, well, it's well, it's it's there in the writing to begin with. If it wasn't there in the writing, you're trying to paint that on top. That's not going to work. So, uh, James Graham, who is a prolific writer of uh, mainly political drama, uh, youngish man actually, you know, how he knows all this stuff about things before he was born, I'll I'll never know. Um, but he is quite an extraordinary guy. So his words and his play and his uh, structure of the play beautifully created that uh, just is a manner from heaven for an actor however um it, you're always um running the risk that two actors don't gel uh, they they don't find it they're not working off the same kind of intellect or whatever uh i'm very happy to say that james is a smart smart boy with a beautiful uh, um, 
track record is he's done so many great things. We were a good match for each other, but we were we were on the same team. That's how it works as a writer. If we were if we were playing like the cats and fighting one another, it would if our egos are in the way, it'd be no good. We weren't like that at all. He's a glorious man. Uh, we just started talking and doing it, and it worked. And I'd seen him do it. Remember, I had that advantage of seeing. I knew I knew how good he was, and, and so I I had to come up to the mark. And it, but it, it's written like that. They go head to head, and he, neither wins really. You know, it's such a beautiful piece. I don't want to spoil it for everyone because it's coming on, as you know, on, mm. on at the National Theatre release on YouTube on the twenty eighth. Um, so. Um, I, I, I just, uh, James, I've, I've got just, just a great um, um, respect for Jeremy, directed as beautifully, just brought us up and down. But it just, the, the synchronicity was fantastic. And I, I, I loved playing it. Walter is probably right up there in the top three or four characters that I've, uh, that I've ever had the pleasure of playing. You, you mentioned the, 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 the synchronicity there. And just the, the gel that is just so... Well done. He's so perfect in both of your um, yes. performances. And there's one particular scene that I uh, really uh, like, which is the uh, scene when you're comparing um, notebooks. And it really, <laughs> it, really, it, really it, it really sort of like sums up both characters uh, so well. I, I, just, I just wondered, how, how is it sort of like rehearsing that? Because that's sort of, it's such a... Uh, what remind? Listen, well, remind me. He has a big clipboard or something, and all written yeah. down, doesn't he? And, and am yeah. I saying it's all up here in the head or something? A little tiny little thing, yeah. or, or I've got this little piddly thing that he's yeah. and he, he he mocks it and things. I can't. I don't know. That's past the humour. It's just great fun. I mean, you, you obviously remember the scene that was funny and and summed us up to a T. But but um, yeah, there, there were so many things like that. I mean, my favourite scene, of course, is the pairing scene at the, mm. at the end. Yeah, and it's just dynamite when they. It's, it's, the tension is, is phenomenal and, and, and you could, he goes in there like a bull in a china shop does Walter to, to demand this that he, he, he pairs somebody off because it's, it's the way it is and the way it should always be and, uh, and he gives him hell for it and, he, and Jack turns around and, he, and he, he gently just says okay and you, when I was doing it in the theatre the audience were just like, oh, my God. And the two of them come together as equals. And it's beautifully written, beautifully done. It was, it was just a, a joy to play. Yeah. And there's, there's that great scene there's, after that, is towards the, the, the end of the scene. You remember it better than I do, Will. <laughs> <laughs> you, you tell me what it was about. <laughs> the, scene, the scene towards the end with, um, with Doc Broughton. Uh, oh, heartbreaking! Heartbreaking yeah. stuff. When he when he's, he he knows he needs him, and he goes up north, and he's on his deathbed, isn't he, Doc? Yeah. And he knows he needs his boat, but he he couldn't get it. He couldn't get him there. That's right, isn't it? And, and he yeah. goes up and tells him. and tells him that I won't spoil it for a while. <laughs> doesn't know, but it, he tells him some truth, and and it's heartbreaking, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, I I used to I used to look forward to every single second of that play because the beauty of it, of course, is that you know. It's, it's got, a, it's got a live rock band on stage yeah. as well. You know, it's total theatre. This is total theatre. The play is as funny as hell, and it's as heartbreaking as you like, and informative as like nothing else I've known about politics. Beautiful, absolutely beautiful. And the, and the Doc Broughton scene, genuinely, every night I had tears in my eyes playing him because because it was so heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, and for yeah. anyone who actually wants to uh, watch the play, it's being uh, streamed on, on YouTube. 
uh, on the National Theatre's uh, YouTube channel from the 28th of May to the 4th of June. Um, so I would highly recommend it. I think Reese would as well. That anyone who I'm going to watch it, by the way. <laughs> obviously, I've never seen myself do this, but I'm probably terrible. We're coming towards the end of the podcast. It's been oh. great speaking to you, to Reese. And I've got sorry one... if I waffled on. No, no, you've not. <laughs> <laughs> I've got I've got one final question for you. Okay. I know, um, like myself, you are a great admirer of Keir Starmer. I think anyone who mm. follows you on mm. Twitter can uh, mm-hmm. tell that. I just wondered, is there one thing over the coming months or, or one policy that you would like to see him uh, pursue or, 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 or just something that you, you really want to it's see not him... Policy, it's, well, I, I want him to re- remain true to, to the Labour Party policies that have been over the last you know number of years. I think there's yeah. nothing wrong with the, the Labour Party's policies. What I don't want him to do is to fall into the trap of what a lot of members want him to do, which is to rant and to rave and to, and to uh, give the Tories what they want, which is somebody completely out of control who is not hitting the nail on the head. Do what you're doing now. It's, 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 it's a terrible phrase. I hope it's not uh, in any way racist, but it, it, please forgive me if it is. But it, it's softly, softly catchy monkey. Yeah. It's... Uh, it's um, um, don't don't fall into their trap. He is he has got a great brain. He's doing it slowly. You can't in the middle of a corona of a, of a pandemic start ranting and raving and uh, because nobody will have any sympathy for it, anybody doing that and pulling a government to pieces in a kind of you know you murderous whatever bloody blah blah. blah. Yeah. He's doing but he's just picking faults. He's you know, he's telling truths and he's just holding them to account very quietly and it's just a question of time you don't strike now this it's not, it's probably not the right time to to, to go all guns blazing mm. but you just start picking picking off uh, the opposition over time and when the time is right bang you get there the the, the, the we lean so far to the right people don't want to just uh, Jump back. They won't jump to back to a, a, a Labour Party overnight. They've got to be persuaded that the right people uh, are, are worth supporting. Uh, a lot of the, the people in the party don't even believe he is themselves. I happen to. I don't want to fall out with anybody about that. It's opinions. It's it's we're all allowed them. Um, I just feel we've finally got somebody who can um, not only match him but take him on without bluster and and um, and. Um, tear him to pieces really I think that's what I wanted to do yeah. carry on doing what he's doing I think that's a great response thank you once again for, for being on the podcast Rose. it's been my pleasure Will thank you for having me thank you for listening to the podcast don't forget that you can subscribe on iTunes Spotify Podbean or YouTube you can follow us at Debated Podcast on Twitter like us Debated Podcast on Facebook and if you want to email us either about appearing or making a comment or reaction to the episode you've heard or any other episodes, then email us thedebatedpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. I hope you listen to the next one.